Ephesians 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse uh, 10. It says here, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. One of the songs that we sang just a moment ago was is one of my favorite hymns, probably some of yours, and that is Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. I was talking with Woody this morning uh, as we were getting preparing for the day, and uh, as I was studying this week through this passage uh, on the armor of God, a song kept coming back to my mind. Uh, have you ever have a song that just gets stuck in your head and you just you know can't get rid of it? It's there for a day or two, and that's what that song was. And by the way, it's a good song that gets stuck in your head. Okay, and that song was "Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus." We sang that here as a congregation a few moments ago. It's a great song, a great challenge. For us, but uh, in many of the hymns, not all, but in several of the hymns, there's usually an interesting story of how that hymn was composed and, and put together, uh, sometimes by one source, sometimes by a variety of sources. And so I want to share with you briefly the, the story behind that hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. It was in 1858, about 150 years ago or more, that revival meetings were taking place in Philadelphia. Believe it or not, they had revival meetings. That was before the Eagles started playing, right? <laughs> okay. But anyways, it was in Philadelphia, these revival meetings. There was a young preacher. His name was Dudley Ting, T-Y-N-G. And he became well-known in his preaching, but also for his fervent love for the Lord. It was said that he preached to about 5,000 men. This revival meeting was actually organized by the Young Men's Christian Association, also known probably better to you as the YMCA. Don't start singing that song. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyways, with that in mind, uh, where are we going with this? Okay. So Dudley, uh, so Dudley Ting was uh, preaching to this group here at the YMCA, about 5,000 men at this conference. And during that message, it was reported that over 1,000 of those men responded to the salvation call and made professions of faith to the Lord. A few days after preaching this revival, though, that uh, Reverend Ting, he went back home and then went to his barn to check on his mule, which was grinding, uh, driving a machine that ground uh, shelled corn, okay? Unfortunately, as he was petting his mule, the story goes that his sleeve caught in the machine and uh, in the cogs of the machine, and his arm was severely injured, tore it to shreds. So much, though, that his arm had to be amputated, and as a result, his arm became infected and resulted in his death just the following week. But just before his death, his father asked him if he had any words for the other preachers that served with him at that revival meeting there in Philadelphia, to which Ting responded to this, Tell them, let us all stand up for Jesus. These final words of Dudley Ting were shared several times in the days and weeks following his death and became a rallying cry 
for all who were influenced by his ministry. One of those preachers that he served with was named George Duffield, Jr. And uh, as George Duffield then went back to his own church, his own congregation, the next week, he focused on preaching, voila, the armor of God from Ephesians 6. And he concluded with his sermon with the hymn that he had just written. It began with a line, and you know it, stand up, stand up for Jesus. The hymn, of course, quickly became well-known and popular. And as this song reminds us that we are called to stand for Jesus and to fight for the faith. And the simple message, and this is the title today, Stand Firm in the Battle. Standing firm in the battle with the armor of God. The first verse of that hymn goes to remind us, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. One great thing I take away from that first verse of the song, the song is this, it leads us for Christ, he leads us from victory unto victory. There's no defeat with Jesus Christ. There's no defeat in following Jesus Christ. It's victory. Therefore, let us stand firm in the battle with the armor of God. So today I want to focus our attention now in this passage of Ephesians 6, and we're really going to look at one verse. Believe it or not, you know, we're still kind of waiting for the good parts. Where's the helmet of salvation? Where's the shield of faith? Where's the sword of the Spirit? We will get to those starting next week. But we really need to set, again, that foundation of why we need the armor of God to begin with and why God has graciously provided this armor and this rallying cry that we need to stand firm in the battle. Look with me. We're going to look at verse 13 primarily today in this message. It says again, verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So what this, first of all, as we look at this, it says again, Wherefore, talking about what is just taking place, talking about our spiritual enemy that we have, it says, take unto you the whole armor of God. And this challenge here, this first part of this verse here, you can divide up into three sections that we're going to do today. But this first part here talks about our responsibility in the battle. What is a Christian supposed to do when you're confronted by the enemy? When you're confronted in the battle against spiritual forces, against the wickedness uh, that is in high places, so to speak. So as we do, the command here is this, to take up unto you the whole armor of God. So take up. Or take unto you. The, the literal idea is to take up in doing that, taking upon yourself. Here, and why is that? Why is this command? By the way, this is a very firm command. It really doesn't leave us with a, an option. We, this is an urgent call that, by the way, I want to just kind of preface this by saying at the very beginning, we talked here in verse 11 that Paul commands us to put on the whole armor of God. And this, is, this idea has the idea of urgency in verse 11, has the idea of to put it on it daily. Put on daily, as you get ready for your day, put on daily. Make this a daily practice to put on the armor of God. But here, in verse 13, actually even carries on even a stronger meaning, not just to take it about every day, but literally to keep wearing it, never take it off. It's actually even stronger in its implication. But i got to ask you a question of why. Why do we need the armor of God? And the reason is because of the spiritual warfare that we face. Again, looking back here in verse 11, we're supposed to put on the armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes, the tricks, the methods of the devil. Okay? The devil is crafty. He is a vicious enemy. He will stop at nothing to undermine God's children. 
Why is that? Because the testimony of Christ is at stake. And he will do everything as can, everything in his power that he can to, to do that. He will try to discourage. He'll try to dissuade. He will try to distract. Whatever he can do to basically make us think that we don't need the armor of God, that we can handle it on our own. We go on, and we talked about this a lot last week, about the enemy that we face, and that is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That the enemy that we face primarily is not a physical enemy. Okay? It's a spirit. We have a spiritual warfare going on. And that is against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This encompasses a lot, and it sounds really scary if you just look at that. We have a formidable enemy. Satan is not to be messed with and his demons that he sends. Don't think that you can fight against Satan yourself. You can't. He would love to have a one-on-one contest with you. He'll win every time. Okay? But understand this, that we are victors in Christ. He is our captain. And we will always, and he is always there for us. We talked about last week, and this week I was talking with Terry Honey. And uh, as she is, again, uh, thinking about Bob and uh, the years of marriage that they had together. And uh, again, she's going through a, a very difficult battle right now. And most of you, you've dealt with loss. You understand this, okay? But understand, in, in, in doing this, we talked about last week, too, that when you are close to your captain... On Wednesday night, we talked about being close to the shepherd as his sheep, for example. But being close to our captain, one thing is this. If you've been in military service, you understand this, that if you want to get up uh, to communicate a message uh, to your upline, uh, someone, a ranking officer, for example, sometimes you have to go through proper channels to be able to speak with them. But with Christ, our captain, he is always nearby. He is close at hand. And I I encourage Terry like that. She encouraged me, by the way. That, yes, I can go to Jesus anytime. Praise God for that. So, yes, we have a formidable enemy, but we have a strong Savior, a strong captain. Praise God for that. But understand this, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are greatly blessed as Christians. We have everything. We have the riches of heaven that's been provided. God spared no expense to equip us for the battle that we face. Praise God for that. And his armor that he provides is perfect for us. It's suited for you. Because why? He's the all-wise creator who made you. He knows you intimately. But here's the thing. I like what one preacher said. I was listening to a message this week on this passage. And this quote really floored me. This is something we need to be prepared for in our battle. And this is why it's so vital that we take up the armor of God. This preacher said this. When God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, Expect that Satan will open the, open the furnace of hell to blast us. Think about that again. When God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, expect that Satan will open the furnace of hell to blast us. There is going to be a challenge that you will face. And if you haven't faced it yet in your Christian life, guess what? When you get serious with God, guess what? The devil's going to crank it up a notch. He's going to turn up that heat or his, his, his uh, demons will. He'll do everything he can to distract us from the, from the battle that we face. This is why, brothers and sisters, that we need to put on the armor of God. And again, the idea here, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, really has the idea of not just putting on every day, but keep on wearing it. Never take it off. You eat with it. You sleep with it. You walk with it. You do life by it. It's, it encompasses your whole life. I remember my first trip to Israel. Uh, when I was actually doing an internship over there, I, I met, uh, who's still a good friend of mine, actually today is his birthday, uh, but anyways, uh, his name is Isaiah, Ishai, as we call him, Ishai, 
Ishai, he um, was, of course, in the military. When you become 18, uh, you are automatically constricted into the military there. If you're a guy, you are you have to spend three years in the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. For the ladies, it's 22 months. And so when you're, of course, you go through your boot camp, your training, you are given your 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 weapon, your, your gun, and you have to basically do exactly that. You cannot have that leave out of your sight, out of your hands. You have to shower with it, sleep with it, everything you do. So it's not uncommon if you get on a bus, regular transit, you're sitting across the aisle from someone who has an M16 on their lap, okay? It's just Israeli life. Hey, it's part of it. By the way, it's usually not, it's not supposed to be loaded, okay? So anyway, with that in mind, that's, this is just something that you keep in mind. So that idea from my friend Ishai is, is the same idea, that we keep on wearing that armor of God. We never take it off. Why? The devil's always looking for an opening. He's always looking for a moment when your guard is dropped. This is why it's so vital, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we take up the whole armor of God. By the way, talking about the whole armor of God, this is not optional like we should leave something out. Oh, I can do without this or without that. You know, this is when the devil is looking for that opportunity. So therefore, let us take unto the whole armor of God. Here's the point. This is the third verse of Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. We didn't sing it, but I'm going to read it to you. Okay, so we're not going to leave it out. Okay, the third verse of that song, Stand Up for Jesus, says this. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, which that's interesting considering the guy had his arm taken off. But anyways... Interesting how that all correlates. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece would put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there, be never lacking. So in other words, this is good words for us, a good encouragement for us that we should put on the armor of God. You think you can handle that battle in your own strength? I'll be honest with you, there's too many Lone Ranger Christians in this world that say, hey, I can do church by myself, I can do life by myself, I don't need the church. Is if You know what, if the church is going to be optional for you, meeting together with the body of Christ, doesn't mean we're perfect, we need each other, folks. thing is this, the, the stronger we are together, there is strength in numbers. Now, I, you know, whether we're packed, whether there's a hundred or one in here, we're going we're gonna to worship God. Okay, no matter what, but we desperately need each other in the battle. You look across the aisle here, you see people in this group. Guess what? That is your fellow soldier. We need each other in the day of battle. We need each other, folks. We need to pray together, to worship together, to serve together, to sing together. That's one of the reasons we do congregational singing is that we would be together as a mighty army. So moves the church of God. This is who we are. This is why we need the armor of God, folks. It's not optional. You put it on and you keep wearing it. Don't take it off. You eat with it. You sleep with it. You do life by it. So my challenge again, as we look at this, wherefore, take into the whole armor of God. The challenge is this. Stand firm in the battle with the armor of God. Praise God for that armor. So let's now talk about what is then the purpose of the armor. Why do we need it? What's the purpose of it? And that comes from the second part of verse 13 that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. The purpose of the armor here is to withstand, or to the, the, the little Greek meaning here is, is to really to stand firm, to stand your ground. Uh, stand in the face of is the idea. And that is to stand against our enemy. We talked again uh, for the past couple of weeks about our spiritual enemy, about Satan. That's our real enemy, folks. By the way, if someone's picking on you, antagonizing you, that's not your real enemy when it comes down to it. 
okay? That's your fellow man, fellow person, fellow woman, okay? And so as we think about it, who is this? The real enemy is the prince of power in the air, the God of this world, who, by the way, is powerful, but he's very limited. God is the one who's all-powerful. So understand this. How, then, should we withstand in the evil day? How do we withstand? How do we stand our ground? How do we stand firm in the battle against our enemy? The Bible gives us a couple of ideas. First of all, in James 4, 9, that we should resist the devil and he will flee from you. Have you ever tried resisting? You know, when you're tempted to do something wrong, you know it's wrong. You know what it's, it goes against God's will. I like to teach this. What is sin? Sin is everything we think that we say and that we do that breaks God's laws and makes God unhappy. I'm putting it in childlike terms so we can all get that understanding. Sin is definitely is a, something that we all battle with to one degree or another, but we all deal with it. We have that sin nature. And the devil likes to utilize anything in his arsenal to help, to, to help have us sin. He doesn't force you to sin, by the way. That's your choice. But understand, he will do, lay any temptation he can to do that. It goes against God's will. Resist the devil. Say no against the devil. He will flee from you. Do that name of the Lord. The Bible also talks in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 8, that the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, though, says this, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Our way that we remain steadfast and standing firm is in, our, in the faith. It's believing who Jesus Christ is and believing in him, following him. So this is very important that we withstand. We're going to talk a little bit some of those ideas here in just a moment of how that is done effectively. But here's the thing. It says here to withstand in the evil day. Well, what does that mean, the evil day? Well, there is, of course, we think of the time when the devil has his heyday, but really since the fall, Genesis 3, till when Christ returns in glory and when the devil is ultimately judged and defeated, okay? There, this is kind of the evil day, so to speak, but what Paul is talking about here is kind of more specifically about the periodic times we face the devil's onslaughts. When we face the devil's attacks, there, that comes and goes. Some days you're doing great. Other days it feels like a full force upon you. Okay? And so that's kind of what we're talking about. The evil day is when the devil raises his head and fights directly against you. Okay? Well, here's a case in point. When we think of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Luke chapter 4 mentions this. Matthew doesn't, but Luke does. Here, it says here, when the devil, after he had tempted Jesus, he departed from him, from Jesus, for a season, for a time. So the, even the attacks that Jesus faced wasn't constant, but it happened periodically. And even the same thing in your life, it's easy. Oh, you man, you, have, you were victorious over one temptation. And now it's easy to go on our own, own life, and we have a couple days, a couple weeks even, maybe even a month or so. Things are going great, and all of a sudden it says, okay, devil's looking for a weakness. He's going to step in again. He's going to try to tempt you. Here's the thing. We need to be ready for that. This is what it's talking about withstanding the evil day when Satan rears his ugly head again. We've got to be ready for that. So with that, how do we then deal with that? How do we then deal with that evil day when we do face that attack? And this comes to the importance of knowing God's word. Okay? This is actually what Woody was talking about today. One way we know God's word is this, by memorizing it. Okay? Like I said, Woody, this, we were sharing the same notes today. Memorizing God's word. By the way, and we're going to do this for the next couple of weeks as we go through the armor of God. We're going to be reading through uh, this passage of scripture on the armor of God. By the end of it, you're going to be tired of it, but I pray that you'll know it. Here's the thing. What does God's word say? Thy word have I hid where? My heart, that I might not sin against God. 
knowing God's word, memorizing God's word, saturating your life with God's word. One thing that and I've shared this many times, one thing I personally do, my wife and I do this on a daily basis is we get up in the mornings and as we go about our day, we have the word of God around us. We're either reading the Bible or we have an audio Bible going as we're getting ready. The word of God is surrounding us. That during, especially in the mornings and then even throughout the day. And I challenge you, if you're not in God's word, spend time today in it, okay? Let me give you a challenge. Tomorrow is August 1st. If you do not have a daily devotion going on in your life, let me say this. Number one, on our back table at the Welcome Center, we have devotional booklets. Uh, we have Days of Praise and Our Daily Bread. Good resources for you. Now, I will say that should be like a spiritual trail mix for you, okay? You get in there, you have a, maybe a spend a few minutes of the day, you're reading through it, reading the passage of scripture that they offer there, and pray, spend time with God. That's a spiritual trail mix. Let's bring, let's uh, kick it up a notch. All right, Emerald's here, all right. Can't say that, you know, there's food cooking downstairs. We're having tacos today. It's hard to compete against tacos, but anyways, bear with me, all right. But anyways, let's kick it up a notch. Let's say in your devotional life, okay, what else can I do? So here's the thing. If, you, if you're wanting to get started in your devotional life, open up, I challenge you to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has 31 chapters. The month of August has 31 days. Read a proverb a day, starting tomorrow morning, Proverbs chapter 1. I like what Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? So, and fools despise wisdom instruction. You use that proverb a day. That's another way to do it. Or maybe you're going through another book of the Bible or some type of devotional. Do something to get in God's word. And as you do it, memorize it. Take a verse, memorize it. Maybe what, and maybe you're having a hard time memorizing. Just don't focus on a whole book. Focus on maybe, maybe you'll eventually get there. Some people are gifted to memorize whole books or whole chapters. Uh, I'm not that gifted per se, but I try to make the Bible familiar to me where it's like, you know what, I've heard that somewhere. I remember here listening to, um, um, oh, I forget the guy's name now. He's actually um, on TNT, he does the NBA with uh, Charles Barkley, uh, forget all the guys that are, Shaquille O'Neal, he's in that. But anyways, there's a guy, forget his name now. Uh, I'll look it up later. Someone can tell me later. Uh, but anyways, he, he, they have a son who was, or adopted son that has a very severe um, health condition. And uh, I was actually watching, believe it or not, it was an ESPN thing. I just randomly watched it. And um, as he was sharing the this, this story about raising his son, all of a sudden he quoted uh, basically Romans 8.28 for all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose and for most people they and he kind of said it in passing it's like you blink you miss it but you know what my ears perked up at that very moment we were going through issues with our son Wesley and still are trying to figure out his diagnosis of things that he's dealing with and God used that moment in my life from the testimony of that man who shared the word of God and said wait a minute I'm familiar with that passage, and I clung to that promise and dug in the Word of God more and more and got assurance for that. So this is why we need each other in the fight, guys. This is why we need each other. Here's the thing. When, when Satan attacks us, he often casts doubt. I mean, he told uh, Eve, you know, did God really say the you know, commandments concerning the tree? But here I want to just say it's not just doubt here. One of the greatest temptations of Satan is for us to doubt God and to trust in ourselves. It's one thing to doubt God, did God say it? But what Satan is wanting to do is says, you don't need God. You can, you can handle this on your own. Trust yourself. That is so dangerous, folks, in our walk with God, that we would say, hey, God, I, I got this today. I'm good. Oh, that's the moment the devil's looking for. Okay? Be very careful with that. Again, my challenge is to us. 
As we do this, withstand in the evil day. Let's stand firm in the battle with the armor of God. Let's now then talk about the turning point of the battle. In the end of that verse is this, and having done all, to stand. Having done all, what does this mean? It really kind of brings us all to perspective. Number one, that we would put on the armor of God. That simple command, doing all, that means putting on the armor of God. That means resisting the schemes or the wiles of the devil. And then, having done so, we would be ready for the battle that will happen. Sooner or later, it will happen. A battle is coming. So what this is, and I like what one commentator brought out about this, that this here is really what we would call, in military terms, this is called a defensive-offensive strategy. Because this is why. When you are facing the onslaught from temptation, for example, or from the devil, you feel overwhelmed. You feel like you're fighting. And on that, you are in the defensive. Maybe you're trying to get resources or help. You're just crying out, Lord, help me, okay? And that is really what's going on there. Then you change your stance from defensive to now offense. And now you're going against it. And this is a verse that uh, I think helps us understand that. Romans 12, 21. Actually, let's turn there because it's important. Romans 12, 21. Give you just a second to get there. It says here, and you probably know this one, but watch it. Put a star by it. Underline it. Write it down in your notebook. Something. It says here, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That is that battle strategy. That's the defensive offensive strategy. Here it is. Be not overcome of evil. That's defensive. You're on the defense. But what's the offense? Overcome evil with good. That's exactly what's going on. This is a military strategy. So how do you withstand in the evil day and having done all the stand? You're on the defensive, and now it's time to take the offensive. I think here's a great example of this. What does this mean, by the way, do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good? It's basically by saying this. It's actually, in context, there's how you deal with other people when you have problems, when you face even persecution, how you deal with that. Number one, you let God be the judge. Don't take it out on yourself. You know, what does our, our world say? You fight fire with fire. All right? They hit you, you hit them back. All right? Sometimes I tell my kids that, you know, hey, so-and-so hit me, so I'll hit them back. You know, <laughs> just deal with that, right? But work out your own problems. But here's the idea. In the Christian life is this. You let God be the judge. You let him take out vengeance. That's not your job. That's his job. And don't render evil for evil. Jesus Christ did exactly that. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. I think a great example in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. Joseph, who was betrayed, he was lied about. He was forgotten. He had everything against him for many years. And what did he do? He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And Joseph, his example, if you can say this, he put on the armor of God. He basically just trusted God that things would go out according to God's plan. He simply was an instrument, a soldier in his army. Of course, this leads us to the greatest example of Jesus. So again, this is the turning point of the battle. You go from the defensive to the offensive here. So with that in mind, let us stand firm in the battle with the armor of God. You see, when the fight is over, when the wrestling is over, we stand as victors in the, con- in the contest. Let's now kind of conclude this idea by saying, what is then the ultimate example of standing in the battle? When we battle, whether it be with our sin nature or the enemy that seeks to destroy us, stand firm, okay? We go back to the Garden of Eden. Again, this is from Woody's uh, notes today. He was so gracious to lend them to me today, okay? (laughs) Let's look at Adam and Eve. It's interesting, these parallels here. 
Adam and Eve, of course, we know they disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting that the verbs there that they took and ate, Genesis 3, verse 6, they took and ate and they disobeyed God. Now you go to the Last Supper in the upper room. Jesus, he tells his disciples to take and eat of his body. You notice the parallels that are there. In other words, what Jesus did was the costly response to Adam's sin. Adam and Eve, they sinned. Basically, their bodies were affected by that. Jesus gave his own body and blood for our redemption. That was the costly response to that. We also see that Adam and Eve, they ate from the forbidden tree, but Jesus died on the forsaken tree. We see Adam and Eve, they received a curse for their sin, but Jesus became a curse for our sin. While Adam and Eve returned to dust after their death, Jesus was resurrected after his death. You understand this. In all this, Jesus is the victor. In other words, stand firm in the battle in him. You see, God's curse on the serpent, Genesis 3, reveals that he is sovereign over our enemy. The devil is a defeated foe. You can stand strong in Jesus Christ. Put on his armor. Praise God for that. To stand in the armor of God is to stand in Jesus Christ. In this, like I said, we must stand together. Stand firm in the battle with the armor of God. I want to close the message today by giving a, a story. It's a story I've, I think I've told every once in a while here, but I, I think it really shed some light on this. And that was back almost four years ago now in, in the country of Cameroon. We have the Sanderlands who are here with us. We'll be talking about them in the missions uh, meeting here in a moment. Uh, but... What happened about four years ago that there was a, a family from Indiana called the Charles Wesco family, Charles and Stephanie Wesco, and they're with their children. <coughs> they had raised their support and went to Cameroon as, as missionaries. And as they were there, just 11 days into being on the field, there was uh, some tensions that were going on between the, the uh, Anglophone and the Francophone, French and English-speaking parts of the, the country. And they were riding with a very dear friend of mine, Ben Sinclair. Uh, they were riding in a vehicle together. Ben was actually the best man at my wedding. And so Ben and his family have been serving in Cameroon for many years. And so Ben is taking him around. They're actually going there uh, near the capital of their area. And as they were going, uh, gunfire rang out, and a bullet came through and hit their car and hit and killed Charles Wesco, killed him instantly. And that was 11 days on the mission field. This happened just like four years ago. And so now everything is turned upside down. So what happened was this, that uh, Ben and his family in the West Coast, the, the rest of them, they had to be uh, basically taken back here to the United States. And, uh, of course, this was a, tr a traumatic event that happened for the family. Ben, um, he then, when he was here, after some time just kind of gathering his thoughts, he went around to different churches, different Bible college, different places, and basically telling Charles Wesco's life. You see, Charles Wesco, he was a man who grew up uh, in, a, in a good, godly home. He was a musician. Uh, he actually was a piano tuner and uh, did some amazing work. And uh, he was just, actually, he could have had the business and had it made, to be honest with you, uh, financially. There was no reason for him to go, you know, for financial purpose to, to go to Cameroon. But nonetheless... Ben told his story wherever he went. And so what Ben did this, and I was with him with several meetings, especially down in Tennessee, 
And Ben and uh, his family, they would go and basically tell Charles a story and calling people to say, who will take Charles Wesco's place? Who will be the next soldier up? I remember we were actually at Berean Academy where Linnea and my kids used to go in Tennessee at their school. And I was sitting down with Ben before the chapel service began, before he was going to speak, and Ben nudged me and he said, look at all these soldiers. Look at all, he's pointing to the teenagers that are there in that chapel. And I look here in this congregation, I said, look at all these soldiers. You are not to sit by on the sidelines in the spiritual warfare. If you do, you're going to be targeted, okay? But here's the thing. Each and every one of us are soldiers. So Ben, in his call, he was called, who will fill the ranks? Who will stand up for Jesus? And just as I mentioned, when we sang that song, stand up for, stand up for Jesus. Who will stand up for Christ? Who will stand firm in the day of battle? Who will take on the armor that we all must wear and never take it off? Let us fill the ranks. Will someone take Charles Wesco's place? And there's a family that has, Chris and Laura Sanderlin. They responded to that call. And there's many others that have done the same thing. And out of one who passed... Several are saying, yes, I will go. I will go to Cameroon, and I will share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard it. This should be our call. And it doesn't have to be Cameroon. It could be wherever you're at. Wherever God's called us, you be faithful to him as his soldier. We get rewarded for that. You know, the Bible says in James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There is a reward and serving Jesus, we don't do it for the reward, but we do it because of why? Because we love him. It says this is promised to those who love him, to love the Lord. And that is our motivation, brothers and sisters, to put on the armor of God. It's because we love him. You don't put on the armor of God because, well, I got to be prepared today. You know, it's going to be a tough work day tomorrow morning. I got to get the armor of God on. Well, that's probably true, okay? But you do it because what? You love your captain and you're going to follow him into the battle. This is amazing when you think about that. I conclude with now the final verse of Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. It says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This is a temporary battle. Okay, This day the noise of battle, the next the victor song. To those who overcometh, a crown of life shall be. Then with the king of glory shall reign eternally. The battle will not be forever, folks. It's temporary. And on the other side, we will reign with Christ eternally. Praise God for that. Let us stand firm in the battle with the armor of God.